that's the sir, that's the stuff I wow, need. Wow, I didn't know you could bend over that far, Bill. Oh, oh, that's so good. Ooh, all right, can't wait to drink that the whole episode. Is that illegal? Oh God, I don't think that's. I don't think it's allowed. That's refreshing water. Hey, yibba ding dong bow. Oh, we pulled a fast one on you, listeners. Tricky, tricky. Wow, I made the cold open. I didn't even try. That's the secret, kid. Don't try. Don't try. On Butnik. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me today is... I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. And today we are talking about the 2020 Russian science fiction horror film... Sputnik. Sputnik was uh, written by Oleg Melevichko, Andrzej... Zolotarev mm-hmm. and directed by Igor Abramenko. That wasn't bad. Thanks, I tried. Are you a Russian Starring spy? Are you a Russian Oksana spy? Ikinshina. Oh no, he's not. Fyodor Pandarchuk and Piotr 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 Fyodorov in Anton Vasiliev. Um, the movie, running in about 113 minutes, uh, came out uh, during COVID. It was definitely a COVID release. Supposed to have a limited theater release. Didn't really see that. Um, it did, however, go to uh, on demand or whatever you call it, streaming on demand. The budget was 190 rubles. What? Uh, which apparently is only $2.6 million. Um, I don't think that was the budget, guys. <laughs> now, I've seen a lot of movies in my day. That movie couldn't have been made for $2.6 million. I don't know. I mean... Unless they didn't pay anyone. <laughs> uh... Exposure. How much exposure did they pay on this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great for your uh, your portfolio. Come on in. Um, no, I, I don't know if something was lost in translation there, but I don't think that movie cost 2.6 million US dollars. Anywho, Ben, what is this movie about? In the last days of the Cold War, Two Russian cosmonauts crash land on Kazakhstan. The sole survivor, Konstantin, doesn't remember what happened leading up to the crash. So Soviet Colonel Semratov calls in neurophysiologist Tatania Yerevna to learn why. But just when all seems like normal PTSD, Tatiana learns that Konstantin is the host 
for a violent extraterrestrial symbiote that feeds on cortisol. Fear. And she works tirelessly to discover how to separate the two. It's Sputnik. Russian listeners, goodbye. I, uh, I just wanted to say that there was way too much uh, fluctuation and passion in your voice to be speaking Russian. I just want you to understand that. I was speaking in Soviet. I cared about my country and communism. Too much. Way too much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's more it's more like <laughs> it's more like too, I love my country. Much. I am Soviet comrade. I feel such passion about the doctrines of communism. If he dies, you don't get Nobel Prize. Exactly. We don't get weapon. We don't get weapon, and I'm very angry about that if you cannot tell. <laughs> are, they, um, are they the Alcor? They are, are Russians just Alcor? Basically, yeah, basically. Very angry. Like, like we we are like dialed at a hundred out of ten compared to Russians. Yet, okay. Who are you? <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I had no idea what to expect out of this movie, especially going off that poster. It's wild. Um. Right off the bat, I will say that I was actually entertained by this movie. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty good. I'm not, it's not going to be, you know, in the top fifteen sci-fi, top fifty sci-fi movies I've seen that I've enjoyed, but uh, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, um, this was uh, this was so a while back. I just kind of went through some things and uh, went through some lists, and they are like, these are the top sci-fi movies you missed in 2020. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll, these can go on for filler when we don't have, like, big stuff we want to talk about. And this, like, uh, I'm, I, I, and some of them I was like, eh, on. Some of them seemed like, I don't think that's actually going to be that good. Uh, that's next week's. Next week's, I'm, I was like, eh. But uh, this one surprised me. I was, I was very, very kind of happy with it. I thought it was interesting. I was engaged. It might have helped that there are subtitles because I have to be engaged um, or else I'm not going to know what's going on. Uh, and it's, you know, that's kind of why I do like foreign flicks because, you know, like I said, if you if you're if you got a movie with subtitles and you're going to sit down to watch it, you're going to watch it. You're not going to be on your phone. You, you got to pay attention at everything or else you're screwed. So there are moments where I looked down at my phone and I looked up and I was like, wait a minute, I have no idea what they just said. I got to go back. And you, re- and then there were other <laughs> moments where he looked down at his phone and he was like, yes, I understand exactly what they're saying. Oh, God. Colin's a sleeper cell. Niet. <laughs> um, <laughs> Convincing. Niet, niet, niet. So, yeah, I thought uh, I thought the cast did rather well. Um, not familiar with any of them. Yeah, that goes without saying. Uh, I, I, this is honestly this is the first time I've ever seen a Russian-made movie before. Uh, I don't know if other Russian movies are really good, but this is the first one. And I did look up a statistic that Russians thought this was a good Russian-made film too. Um, it actually, when it aired, had like the highest viewing any movies like ever had. On their uh, the streaming sites in Russia. Look, so. you know, uh, 
how do I put this? Um, I'm not a big fan of Russia. Um, you know, they are who they are. Uh, they are led by who they are, I should say. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Russian government, I should say. That is, can we not say that? Should we not say that? Say what you want about the Russian government and, you know, our relationships, our relationship with them. But Russians do great sci-fi and it all comes down to a, a little guy named Andrei Tarkovsky uh, and, and kind of how he set the bar for a lot of modern sci-fi, um, you know, shortly after, shortly after 2001, honestly, uh, he kind of changed up like how, like he, he kind of expanded on like the art house sci-fi style. Uh, at some point, I would love to go over Stalker, but it's a big ask for anyone to watch Stalker. Uh, it was a big ask for for me to be asked to watch Stalker back in the day, and I'm I'm glad I did watch it. But it's a what's the runtime on Stalker? Um, we're not allowed to do two and a half hour movies anymore. Just saying. Well, that's the thing about it. Uh, the runtime is 161 minutes. Mm. So that is mm. uh, two hours and 41 minutes. Mm. So that's actually okay. that's actually shocking to me. That is not nearly as long as I thought Stalker was. <laughs> so I thought Stalker was. Or that's two not nearly hours as, and 45 minutes? I should say that two hours and 41 minutes. I feel like I feel like at a point all films like are required to have an intermission just like put into the film. That one might. Um, there's a, I, I should have said that that is shorter than I thought it was. I thought I, when you watch it, you're sure you're watching a five hour film. Uh, but it's really, really good. That's not a bad thing. You're so engrossed in it. Like you, at least from my perspective, you, you lived it, but we're not here to talk about Stalker. My point is that Russians do sci-fi well, because there's a certain level of dread in being Russian and I think they can translate that well into science fiction, which does benefit from the feeling of uh, existential dread. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. It's a, what a dreadful experience it is to be Russian. <laughs> I just, I, you know, obviously, like, I'm not saying Russian people are, like, persecuted for being Russian. I'm just saying it's a... You know, you're always afraid of your government. It just is what it is. It's true, and it's it's been like that for a while now. But I mean, I guess like I, I'm also not one to talk because we're also always afraid of our government now. So like you know, we get it. We could probably make good sci-fi guys. That's we have a lot of dread. Oh my god, you're right. I'm completely. I'm. It's completely dreadful. I think that's great. I love that. This is great. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> hey. I, I live in ever oppressing fear of my government. Yeah, that's why that's that's um, why the alien chose the cosmonauts because this is like, oh, these are just horrible, just horrible experience in life. <laughs> it's like, oh, these these poor fuckers. I'm gonna I'm gonna come down there and and I'm gonna I'm gonna deliver a little bit of democracy to the USSR. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think you. The idea was that they have plenty of cortisol. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I liked I liked the. Uh, um, I normally don't like a, a CG alien that you have to constantly look at. Um, that would probably be my biggest complaint. Uh, but I thought they did okay. Like it wasn't, 
I wasn't terrible. Um, definitely could not, um, what do you call it? Suspend the disbelief there. But uh, I will say that it was an interesting design for the alien. It was kind of cool. The way that it doesn't, it like crawls instead of, uh, you know, slithering, whatever. I, thought that was cool. I feel like in, in terms of CG, I feel like it's it's what Ben says is that like as long as you don't have the real thing next to it, you can get away with it. And I feel like that's the case with this is that like you can get away with it because it's so foreign and alien that like there might be a glisten to the alien that, you know, was something that they couldn't get out in CG or something like that. And it just kind of becomes part of the character. And I feel like that's something that more films can take advantage of in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I actually really liked the alien in this, and I, I hear you, Colin. I hear the criticism for CGI aliens for sure. Uh, they it's it's for CGI anything, honestly. But it, I think it looked good. I, I thought it was scary. At no point did I, it definitely didn't look cheap. It definitely didn't look like it was made with 190 rubles. Like it looks like there was time put into it, and I was happy with it. I it was it, and it was sufficiently scary. Like. Sometimes you get aliens, alien horror films, and they're like, oh, look at the scary alien. And you're like, eh, I guess I could see it. If I saw that thing, I'd feel I, that was a big nope snake for, for a minute. Uh, the scene when it's coming out of Constantine's mouth for the first time was a sufficiently uncomfortable experience and that was like that was the point where i was like okay i'm in now i'm into this yeah well it's a, a, a kind of an interesting way to do it because the entire time i was expecting like eventually it's gonna be like alien where uh the aliens just got to pop out of constantine and he's dead and we move on from there but no they left him being one of the main characters and they made the alien a main character which was really cool mm-hmm you know, normally in a, a sci-fi horror film, the alien or whatever is just the antagonist. It's there to, uh, you know, create that element for the rest of the characters to react to. But in this case, they ended up becoming one of the characters. I thought that was really well done. Well, I, I love the fact, yeah, exactly what you're saying. I love the fact that they made it a symbiotic relationship and that there were multiple twists to this movie that they kind of had in there. It wasn't like a whoa twist, but you know, like having the idea that no, I was conscious of eating those people the entire time. I knew what was happening. And that was good. and like that's I mean that really like kind of set up him as one entire character as, you know, alien and and human? And human. What is that? Uh Semerado? Semerado Colonel? No, that's not the one. No, Constantine. Constantine. Sorry, Constantine. Um, so Constantine and the alien as one, and I think that's a really, really cool element that this um, that this movie introduced that I haven't really seen in that way. The fact that you know one in the same as two separate characters, but losing his identity as himself and becoming a whole, a collective sort of of two. I, I thought was really, really cool. That was a really cool element that I haven't seen before. Um. And uh, the fact that, like you said, the alien became part of the character and it showed that. But I um, I feel like I feel like the fact that Constantine lost his identity was kind of like a it was a weird motif in this that like it was kind of like becoming an orphan, becoming nothing. And then 
and then becoming something. And like, so there's like gaining an identity and then Constantine is losing an identity. And it's, it's a very weird, incredibly subtle, probably not meant to happen sort of motif that I picked up on that I probably made up um, that I thought was really, really cool that, that there was this kind of idea of identity in there. Yeah. Yeah. I totally missed that. No, no. Ben's, so, yeah. Ben's reaction was correct. No, it's fine. <laughs> my, well, that was actually my reaction to learning that Tatiana was uh, was an orphan. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah, or, or that, it, was, it was mine as well. I was like, all right, why, why was this even a thing, to be honest? Yeah, right. It was... I, that definitely, like, was not an element that really popped out, for sure. That was just kind of like, oh... Okay. Well, and that re leads me to like my biggest issue with this movie. And I, like, I've been sitting here as a, it helps to talk about it to get the juices flowing in like an analyzation of it, which I, I think I got a little bit of something here. But, um, you know, if this is just a movie to be spooky, that's fine. Uh, and that's, you know, I'll accept that, I guess. But it did feel like they were trying to get to something here. Um, and so because of that, I have to wonder what they were trying to get to. And the whole motif behind parenthood and, and things, it all seemed more just character work mm -hmm. than actual theme right, work. Right. You know, like, like it does, like, yeah, sure, her being an orphan, you know, who couldn't walk, I guess it makes sense for who, for, it, it makes sense to her actions. It informs her actions throughout the film. And that is fine, but getting that twist at the end didn't do anything for us. Like if we if we knew that's who she was at the beginning, and that would have helped inform who she was a bit more throughout the movie. That's really kind of more of a retrospect character edition. That like it wasn't really totally necessary at that point because she had already developed, and I and I enjoyed her character. I enjoyed this the journey she went on from kind of cold risk-taking doctor who will do whatever it takes to cure someone to someone who obviously cares a lot about Constantine and she uh, and we learn at the end she cares a lot about Constantine because of the fact that he is regretful that he left a child behind as he went to space because he has a child who's out there in an orphanage right now that's probably why she she attaches to him because of those things but we also didn't need to know that's why she attached to him this could have been just someone who kind of gained a little bit of humanity and stopped you know treating people as problems to be solved and started treating them as people to be helped well it also it also is like one of those sort of like survivor sort of like conundrums is like because she survived the orphanage and she survived a disability and learned to be better from it, then she kind of forces that upon other people, you know, like how, you know, someone who used to be overweight loses a lot of weight. They kind of see other, you know, overweight people and they're like, oh, come on, dude. Um, yep. And so it's like you start to feel that way. And I feel like her going to this orphanage, her having this disability, she sees the kid, like the kid in the um, that she almost drowns. She, you know, sees them and she's like, we can do this. We can help him. But he has to, you know, take it on. You know, something extreme has to happen. Um, and then, you know, same thing with Constantine is that like, we, you can fix yourself. We can fix you, but you have to do it. And like, so th there's this like element of like sort of um, 
you know, being a survivor and having that sort of, I'm not going to say chip on your shoulder, but it definitely informs decisions about trying to save everybody and just realizing like everybody can be saved. They just have to do it. And, and that sort of like anxiety. I like that perspective. I really do. I think that's definitely, that definitely lends more to her as well. And, and which, which goes to show right off the bat that this film is, is decent because it, you know, a conversation like that builds upon a character more. Um, the all the evidence is there, of course. It's not something that we're headcanoning. You know, this is this is evidence that that builds a character, and I think that's good. Um, but why sci-fi then? You know, like why does sci-fi the the, the sci-fi element doesn't really help inform those ideas? And that's we've we've talked about this before. Sometimes that's okay. But other times the element seems to be uh, underutilized, and I'm—that's kind of what I'm wrestling with through this. And I have still some some thoughts, but I don't want to say them yet because they're—I'm still brewing on them as we chat. <laughs> Do you guys feel like the sci-fi element was a little wasted here? Well, I, I think that um, you could definitely see it as like the alien was really just a black box problem. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of a placeholder put in there, you know, as like, this is a problem that Constantine is going through that, you know, she wants to fix. But the problem itself could be anything. It could be drug use. It could be anything. And so, like, PTSD. exactly. It could be anything. So, it, what was, why would you do PTSD plus alien? And like, what was the, the symbiotic relationship? You know, does that mean anything to inform the characters in the story? Or is that simply just a cool idea? So it's like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we are missing something. And I suspect that we are, you know, there's definitely some reading I can do online for this sort of thing and understanding it a little bit better. But like, I feel like from my initial interpretation of it, the symbiotic relationship between Constantine and the alien really was just there it didn't really inform anything other than it's a problem i'm gonna say it i'm gonna just start talking and listeners this may not end up leading anywhere but we're gonna start talking and and i want either of you to jump in when you feel it's necessary i think i have i think i have an idea that's happening here i think there's no coincidences in this film I think it is very uh, meticulous and very strategic in the way it uses its setting. It uses its genre and it uses its threat. It's alien. It's antagonist. And I want to start with the fact that the alien is a part of Constantine, a part of a national hero, quote unquote. And it feeds specifically on fear in a Soviet world. So that's where we're going to start in the idea that this is a creature that is part of a, of a Soviet hero that feeds on fear. And the government, the Soviet government throughout this wants control of the alien. They don't want to destroy the alien. They want to control this creature to use it as a weapon. They want to use the thing that feeds on fear as a weapon. And it is a scientist and a hero and this national hero who come to the understanding that the government 
cannot have this thing that feeds on fear. It needs, we need to take this away. But what it ultimately ends upon is that you cannot take away the thing that feeds on fear. It will always be a part of us. The only thing we can do is shoot ourselves in the stomach. Nope, I lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in, but I almost had it. There's something there. There's definitely something there, and it was within grasp. I'm trying to think because that's that's those are all really good points, and definitely I think along the lines that they were going for. I'm just trying to you know like the I, thing that feeds on fear is. Well, is 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 anything, honestly? Mm -hmm. Like, I I think you know, I'm I'm thinking I'm hearing Ron Frederick in the back of my head, like, well, go go get that pickaxe, dig deeper, and like I'm I I know like if if the government the government wants let's let's say that the creature is not just feeding on fear, but the creature is fear, because it instills fear to feed on the fear, mm -hmm. right? Remember, they say specifically that the creature that the alien wants to be seen before it attacks the inmates that the government is feeding to it because that's when their fear levels rise. That's when their cortisol is shot through their brain and that is when it can attack. So it is not just feeding on fear, it is fear. And the government sees, the Soviets, I should say, see power in that. Mm. They see power in a creature that uh, is, can instill fear and then kill through it. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they set this film in Soviet Russia, uh, in you know, in the height at the, at the height of the Cold War, at the end of the Cold War, nineteen eighty three, mm -hmm. I think is when it is. Um, Cold War so, petering out, but the the nukes yeah. are still there. Exactly, uh, the control is being lost, and what better thing to do um, to gain more control is to instill fear which i'm and I, and that's where i think like maybe maybe our understanding of this movie is handicapped in a way because we aren't maybe this movie is not in fact totally universal maybe this movie informs a lot to the russian experience um i think there are parts of it that we can understand um just as people living in another tyrannical government but i don't think it's I don't. I think there's certain elements to living in Russia versus living in the United States that we cannot fully get. You know what I'm saying? Does this make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think I think the where that launched me is like so this. So let's say the alien is fear. The government's trying to control it to gain power, which is what which is what uh you know a dictatorship or or a tyrannical government would do is they would inspire fear in order to control the people and so it's like you know you use this but there's there's a loss of control you know there's there's a big loss of control and the fear is not controlled is not controlled by the government but by the man by the person that is there and so it's like the government couldn't control the fear it went back into the man. Maybe that maybe that's reading a little too deep, but I think that there's something there for sure uh, about controlling fear. I mean, that's what a lot of a lot of you know a lot of our other you know administrations have done, and a lot of what you know the current administration in Russia might be doing. And it's like there's a lot of that being done and harnessed 
in order to control, which is, I mean, basically what you were saying. I'm just, I feel like I'm talking in circles here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like you, you, you said it though, like the government wants to control the fear, but they can't ultimately the people control the fear. And maybe that's like the, maybe that's the message that they're really walking away with is it's like, no matter what they do, no matter how much they try to instill this fear and feed upon us as people within their government, um, we will still have the power to control how we handle our own fear. Now, Constantine chooses an option that is less than ideal in a practical and real world, but in a storytelling world, he still, he still chooses how he's controlling this. He, cho he does not get the... He does not let other people take away his choice, his decision at the end of it all. He is understanding of what's inside of him, and he chooses to dispatch of it himself so that he can no longer be controlled. And I don't think this movie is saying, kill yourself so your government can control you. I think it's an extreme, it can't control you. You know, I think it's an extreme example of a way of control fear, etc. But I, I do think maybe that is... The idea that he still had that choice, that he had that decision he could make, um, gave him the power to control what the government could not. And then, I mean, there's also, if we're going to just destroy this metaphor into the ground, I want to say that, like, also living, he attempted to live without fear, and there is no human experience without fear. Yeah. There's a bit point there. I mean, and then like, and then he accepts it back into his life, but at the same time takes control and makes a decision about it, like you were saying. So maybe that's, I don't know. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of layers to it. I think there's a lot of, it's almost like the theme you cannot, I feel like you can't, it's, there's no concrete, concrete, concrete theme that's here it's a feeling i feel like there's a feeling here that we're trying to describe that's hard to describe which is funny you say that <laughs> because that's really like that's what tarkovsky was all about tarkovsky didn't care about themes he cared about feelings he cared about what how you felt watching that film did you feel uneasy did you feel hopeful did you feel scared no. like that's what stalker is all about stalker is all about bringing out the the most primal feelings in you. And it really does the job. He, 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 Tarkovsky believed film was art more than most people believed. And as a result, he was never actually like the, in the same way I th we talked about how Kubrick is not actually trying to say anything. He's trying to make you feel something. Tarkovsky was the same way. He was not trying to say anything. He was trying to make you feel something. And maybe that's the case here. Maybe we've been spending so much time trying to, uh, you know, check out the cross sections of different movies and TV shows and analyze them and tell you what we think. Um, maybe we forgot that sometimes there there's just feelings to be felt. Yeah. it's like, it's like having an argument. Sometimes you just have, sometimes conversation is just the feelings that are inspired by it, not the actual content. So it's like, so like, you know, it's like, it's this, this is really, I feel like what you said exactly about, I was Tarkovsky is um, mm -hmm. is really what I feel here. And I kind of want to watch Stalker now um, <laughs> like a lot. And I, and it's, and it's fun. It's an experience. It's funny that Mark missed this one because he's a feelings boy. That's what he, that's what he's all about. <laughs> so like he, I think he would be inspired by that. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely want to do some deeper reading on this for sure, because I feel like we are hitting on some uh, some veins here that were definitely intentional. Um, but at the same time, like we said, there's there's really just a lot of feelings about it, like the dread of, you know, like if we even look at the entire setting, I mean, the dread of living in the USSR and like the dread of, you know, having having your life completely controlled in many, many ways and not being able to make a decision like in, you know, communist Russia and communist USSR is that like you cannot you weren't really you had a set path for yourself. You didn't really have much of a choice. Um though what was gonna happen was gonna happen, but you know, you were just part of part of the whole. And it's like it's and you do your part. And there's some dread that that kind of comes with that. And so it's like that itself, I mean that itself was a feeling in this movie, a feeling of the setting was, you know, living in this regime. So it's interesting uh, when, and I'm checking names, uh, Semeradov, mm-hmm. Colonel Semeradov, uh, said, to her, said to Tatiana that he doesn't believe in orders because orders don't affect smart people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another level of control as well. It, it makes it, you know, it, it, early on, I, believe, I thought for sure that this guy was on her side in a certain way. Obviously, he was a, he was a high-level officer, who had a goal, but I did think at a certain point, I was like, well, he seems to have her best interests at heart. And he does that, you know, by telling her that he doesn't believe in orders because smart people don't listen to orders. He is essentially manipulating her into an order. (laughs) You know, he's telling her like, like, well, if you're, if you're smart, if you're as smart as I think you are, you're going to do this because I want you to do this, not because it's an order. And he that's a great way to manipulate someone into into cooperating without forcing it upon them. Yeah. And and that's a it's a great way to set him up as a bad guy without even kind of realizing it at a certain point. Which is unfortunately part of sales is <laughs> like is like make it <clears throat> don't act like you're selling somebody act like they're buying what you have available and that any other choice would be really stupid. And that's yep. basically sales. And it's like, that's a huge part of manipulation and control is basically taking away any other option within somebody's mind. Absolutely. Oh. <clears throat> All right, boys. Um, we went so deep uh, for like getting through this movie so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you guys went. Guys went deep as hell there. Um, Did you have anything to say, Colin? Yeah, no. I uh, kind of feel like I spoke my piece. I liked it, mm-hmm. and uh, I yeah, you know, I'm not here to analyze it tonight. Unfortunately, <laughs> That's fine. wasn't wasn't cutting that movie in half and checking out the cross sections, if you know what I mean. But I think you boys did a stellar job. Appreciate you. an extraterrestrial. So, stellar job yeah um so uh yeah basically i just want to ask you guys uh was that good sci-fi or bad sci-fi actually before you do since we are running under Mm -hmm. i did just want to take this moment to maybe sell our overlord on adding stalker to the list as much of a commitment as it is i understand but we can all watch it together we can all watch it together so it feels less like less of a task because i think this is a movie that demands an an audience as well uh, I I just wanted to give you give you guys this, which is Stalker is a film that tells the story of an expedition led by 
a figure known as the Stalker. And if this sounds familiar to you, it's because uh, it was also adapted into a video game um, not too long ago, and it has a sequel coming out, if it's not already out. Uh, a figure known as the Stalker, who takes two clients, a melancholic writer seeking inspiration and a professor seeking scientific discovery, to a mysterious restricted site known simply as The Zone, where there supposedly exists a room which grants a person's innermost desires. And that is the movie. And it's wild. Um, so I'm basically, yeah, basically the description says nothing about the movie. You really have to watch <laughs> it. Well, yes, yeah, you we definitely could, have to watch it. Yes. We, we could talk about it. Talk about it. Wow. All right. Moving on. <laughs> well done um no it, it's probably gonna be on the list because it seems like it was a very profound film so um all right uh, gentlemen what well, do do the good sci-fi bad sci-fi starting with being yeah i think good sci-fi i think by the conversations we've had from it uh alone it was good i don't i'm not entirely sure if it was well acted because i don't understand the language and, and the inflections but it sounded well acted to me uh, and I believed everyone. I thought everyone did a really good job. I was actually engaged. Uh, even despite the subtitles forcing me to engage, I was interested and I wasn't bored. Uh, at some points it got a little silly, which kind of keeps it away from the great sci-fi, uh, point. But it is, uh, introspective enough and, uh, it definitely cares enough about itself to tell a good story uh, through and and I I regret I regret questioning I should say I regret questioning whether it used its genre effectively because I think that conversation that we had proved it did so definitely good sci-fi uh, check it out especially if you're a fan of of more low-key indie stuff. All right, thank you, Ben. Bill. All right. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything Ben said. I thought it was great. I thought there were some themes that were hitting in there. Um, I feel like it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't lean too hard into the horror, which is good. I like that. Um, I feel like it had some solid sci fi elements that kind of made me, made me think a little bit more, especially as we were talking about it. I really, that's really where the analysis came in. You know, I just sort of took the content and then when we analyzed it now, that's where I jumped off. Um, so I feel like anything that's anything that's like that is worth good sci-fi. All right. Thank you very much, Bill. Um, I'll basically say that, yeah, this was good sci-fi. Uh, I think your the conversation you gentlemen had uh, over it alone to me was good sci-fi. Um, it proves it, just as Ben said. Um I also thought it was a good movie. Uh, ben, I, I kind of agree with you there. I don't speak Russian, so I don't know if they were doing good Russian acting or not. <laughs> um, but I was entertained. I thought they were doing a good job, so they must be doing a good job. Um, yeah, well, that's about it. Um, yeah, so that's our take on Sputnik. Uh, by the way, it's, it's also because the page I'm on is also recommending the movie Life. Did we cover that? We haven't covered life. I should probably add life to the list, and it's okay. I'm going to actually start filling up our schedule again because we're getting close to the end of our planned shit. <clears throat> life is one of them that I want to add, 
And I also noticed one uh, archive that we haven't talked about. So I'm going to check that out, too. Okay. Um, but next week, we are talking about the mystery thriller Vivarium, apparently. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think it's a we Jesse Eisenberg it. film. We can skip it. I don't care. No, no. We're going to watch it. We can, they can't all be good. Yeah, it's Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots, so... Sounds stellar. But uh, uh, heads up to all of our fans. This is your two-week warning for Bad Batch. So if you haven't watched Bad Batch, right. if you, and especially heads up to our fellow casters, <laughs> this is your two-fucking-week warning on Bad Batch. You don't need to have watched Clone Wars to watch Bad Batch. It certainly helps you understand things, and I would recommend at least watching the first three episodes of Season 7 of Clone Wars because it sets up the Bad Batch. But uh, from my understanding, it is still its own show, uh, which uh, can talks about post-Clone Wars, I believe. I believe Bad Batch is set post-Clone Wars, right? Yes. So, should be fun. I'm excited. I hear great things about it. Uh, obviously, it's a Dave Filoni animated Star Wars piece, so I'm excited. And especially because they have the money and the Disney Plus. So, check that out. Make sure you start watching. You got like 17 at 30-minute episodes, so you got a lot to do. Heck yeah. All right. Well, folks, there you have it. Um, until next time. <laughs>